let God transform your life as you listen to this inspiring sermon by Rev. Richard C. Whitcomb. The best gift I ever gave didn't come in a box with gift wrap. The best gift I ever gave wasn't something I bought in a store or found online. The best gift I ever gave anyone wasn't a present. It was someone's presence. Let me explain. Some years ago, my wife was about to celebrate a milestone birthday. I won't tell you which one. But we were all excited to get ready for this great event. And I wanted to do something extra special, extraordinary for her on this milestone birthday. So I thought about it, and I realized that in all of our years since we came to Africa in 1983, no one from her family had ever come to visit her. So I decided that I would invite her only sister, and I would pay for her ticket to come and visit my wife for her birthday, but I wanted to keep it a surprise. Now, that wasn't easy because in those days, my children were younger and some of them had loose lips, so there were a lot of secret phone calls and emails and a lot of tension trying to keep everything under control, but God helped us and we kept it a surprise. The great day came. My sister-in-law landed at Kotoka International Airport early in the morning. I sent the driver to go and pick her up, and we snuck her secretly into the parlor while we served my wife breakfast in bed. Then, when she was finished with breakfast, I came up and said, I have a surprise birthday gift for you. I put blindfold on her eyes. I took her by the hand out of the bedroom, down the stairs, into the parlor, And I removed the blindfold. When she saw her sister, her eyes got big. Her mouth dropped open. There was silence. And all of a sudden, she let out a scream. Ah! They went running to each other and gave each other a big hug. They were laughing and crying. We were all celebrating. I'll never forget that day. The best gift I ever gave didn't come in a box with gift wrap. The best gift I ever gave wasn't something I bought in a store or found online. It wasn't a present. It was someone's presence. The best gift I ever gave was a person. And that's what Christmas means. You see, God's greatest gift to us, of all the thousands and millions of things he's given, God's greatest gift isn't something, it's some. One, God's greatest gift was to give his son, Jesus Christ, to come and live among us, that he might live within us. For you see, this great gift is available to everyone today, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what your expectations are, we can all receive the gift of God's presence because Jesus came to earth to bring God near to us. He left the hallways of heaven to walk the dirty roads of earth. He left the presence of the Father to bring the presence of the Father down into our hearts. That's what Christmas means. Christmas means God came to live among us so that he could live within us. And today, we can all discover that gift and unwrap it and receive it. That's the purpose of our sermon, the promise of his presence. But before we learn how, let's bow our heads and pray. 
Almighty and everlasting Father, we thank you so much on this great Christmas Eve as we celebrate your greatest gift to man, the coming of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that you sacrificed for us to bring us a Savior, to bring us God with us. And of all the great things Jesus has done for us, it's your presence in our hearts that means the most. So today I ask you to open our hearts and open our minds that we might receive you. Teach us how to draw near to you. Teach us how to be a manger for you, that our hearts can become your home. We submit to you now, we bind every voice of the devil that would come to deceive or disturb or distract us. And in the name of the Lord Jesus, I loose the power of the Holy Spirit, the power to speak light and life and love and peace and joy to us, the power to bring the presence of God to us. We thank you by faith in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. I want to invite you to take a moment, join your faith with mine today. Put your hand on your chest and pray after me. Lord Jesus, speak to my heart. Change my life. Manifest your glory in me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I tell you, it's a wonderful day to be in the presence of the Lord as we celebrate God's coming to earth through Jesus. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He was 100% God and he's 100% man and he came to live among us. He brings us life and hope and peace and joy and salvation. But best of all, Jesus brings uh, the presence of God to us. For the truth is, Christmas means that God came to live among us so that he could live within us. So today we're going to pause from all the busy activities of Christmas and take a few minutes to discover how we can all experience God's presence. And to do that, we're going to look at the three groups of people at Christmas who actually came face to face with Jesus and experienced his presence. Of all the people in the earth who had Jesus come and they could receive him and see him and experience his presence in their lives, we're going to look at them and see what we can learn from them so that we can also experience the presence of God. Now, to guide us in our journey today, we printed world-famous Agape House sermon notes. They're inside your bulletin. I invite you to take them out now and follow along with me as we discover three steps uh, to experience the presence of God this Christmas. Our text is the Christmas story taken from Luke 2, 1 to 16. Now receive the word of the Lord. Joseph traveled from the village of Nazareth in Galilee to Bethlehem. He took with him Mary to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging of available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, somebody say the Savior. 
The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to your heart today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I'm sure you're familiar with the Christmas story. It's something that's been told for thousands of years. Even people outside the church are familiar with the basics of the story. But today, I want us to go deeper. Today, I want us to take it to a new level. Today, I want us to discover not just the facts of the people and what was involved, but I want us to see the people who experienced the presence of God face to face. So here's what we're going to focus on. Who actually met Jesus? Who experienced him? For the fact is of all the thousands of people in Bethlehem and of all the millions of people in Jerusalem and of all the great hordes of people around the world, the first people to experience Christ's coming were the shepherds. Of all the people everywhere, God chose the shepherds. And that brings us to our first step to experience the presence of God. God's presence is with the humble. For the truth is the shepherds were the lowest level of people in society. They were like the Kaya today. They were considered almost worthless. They were menial taskmasters. They were people who were dirty and poor and lowly and uneducated, whose only job was to stand out in a field and guard some stinking sheep. Yet in spite of their shortcomings, in spite of the way society viewed them, the shepherds uh, were the first ones to actually experience the presence of God outside of Mary and Joseph. And here's the message God wants us to know today through this example. God always visits the humble and the lowly. That's why Isaiah 57, 15 says, the high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one says this, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. Now, let me be clear. You don't have to be a kayaye to get close to God. You don't have to be poor or dirty or uneducated. You don't have to be an outcast from society. There are poor people who are proud and proud people who are humble. The fact is this scripture says those whose spirits are contrite and humble. So God is not saying you have to be poor or lowly or uneducated to get into his presence. The fact is we simply have to have a heart that is humble. For Psalm Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is near to those whose hearts are humble. So here's the truth you need to pack up and take home with you. Humility is simply putting God in his rightful place and keeping myself in my rightful place. For the fact is, he is God and I am not. He is infinite and I am finite. He is the creator and I'm the creation. He's the shepherd and I'm his sheep. He's the master and I'm his servant. And humility is not thinking less of yourself than you should. It's simply seeing yourself as God sees you. Humility is not looking down on yourself. It's looking up to God. 
If God is great and I am not, then I should follow him. If God is great and I am not, then I should obey him. If God is the Lord and I am his follower, then I should submit to him. That's why James 4, 6 to 7 links humility with submission. He says God opposes the proud. God is far from the proud. God fights the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. When you have a heart of humility, you will be drawn close to God, and the result of your humility will be that you submit to God and follow God and obey God and think about what God is telling us. If you're proud, you will be removed from his presence. You will be opposed by God. God will fight you, but he will take care of the humble who put God on the throne of their lives. That's why David said in Psalm 138.6, though the Lord is supreme, he takes care of those who are humble, but he stays away from the proud. And the good news for all of this today is that we can all be humble. Humility is a choice you can make to simply look up to God. Humility is a choice to depend upon God and call upon God. And when you do that, his presence comes near. Once there was a farmer who had two sons. The older son was big and strong like his dad. His name was Kobla. Many years after Kobla was born, the farmer had a second son. He was still a young boy, and everyone called him F.O. Well, one day the farmer called Kobla and F.O. and said, I want you to go to the field and remove a tree that is very large with deep roots so that we can plow that land and plant crops there. And Kobla said, I'm ready to go. And F.O. said, I want to go too. I want to help. Kobla looked at him and said, you small boy, you small begin. <laughs> you can't go. You can't do anything. But F.O. insisted and the father sent the two of them. Well, when they got to the field, Kobla took his machete, his cutlass, and he started to work on the tree. He tore down the branches, and little F.O. would do what he could, tearing and bringing the small twigs away from the site. Kobla worked for many hours cutting and chopping, and he removed the tree, except when he got to the roots, he could not remove the root. After trying for some hours, he finally went home and said to his father, Father, I've removed the tree. The only thing I can't do is remove the root. I've done everything I can but I can't get it out. Then the father looked at Kobla and Epho and said, you have not done everything you can do. Go back again. Kobla didn't know what else to do, but he said, let me go and try. So he went back to the place in the field where the tree roots were there, and he kicked and pushed. He pulled and struggled. He took his machete. He took a crowbar. He tried for hours till he was sweating and weak, but still he couldn't remove the root. So he went back to his father and said, Father, I have tried. I have struggled. I have done everything I can, but I can't get out the root. Then the father said to him, you haven't done everything. Go back again. Ha! Huh. Kobla didn't know what to do. So he and Epho went again. This time he looked at the root. He kicked it. He cursed it. Hey, he didn't know what to do. He tried and pulled and pushed, but still the root wouldn't come. Finally, in exhaustion, he went back and said, Daddy, I beg you, I have done everything. I have done everything. The father said, you have not done everything you can do. Then little Epho spoke up. He said, wait a minute. I know what we can do. I know the one other thing we can do. We can ask our father to help us. Daddy, will you help us? Aha, the father said. That's what I was waiting for. Of course I'll help you. 
And the three of them went, and together they removed the tree root. Because you have not done everything till you've come in humility to cry out in childlike faith to say, Father, help me. When you're humble, you realize that you need God's help every day. When you're humble, you realize that you can call upon God in every area at every moment. When you're humble, you become hungry for God. You seek God because the more humble you are, the more you realize you need God. And the hungrier you become for his presence. And that's our second step to experiencing the presence of God. God's presence is with the hungry. First, he's with the humble, but he's also with the hungry. And that's what the second group of people at Christmas show to us, the wise men. The Bible tells us there were wise men. Listen to their story in Matthew 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And think with me for a moment about these wise men. The Bible says they traveled from afar. The journey was not easy. There was no STC or express bus. There was no train or airplane. They had to wander through the desert. They had to wander through the jungle. They had to wander through hostile territories. They faced obstacles and disappointment and opposition. They lost their way. They came late. They had to face Herod, but they kept seeking God because the wise men were hungry. They wanted to experience God. Some people lived within walking distance of the manger where Jesus was born, but they never got up to seek him. But these men came from the east. They came from a long distance. Some people in Bethlehem couldn't be bothered, though the star shone over them, and though the angels sang outside their window, they slept on. The religious leaders and the prophets and priests were too busy in Jerusalem, collecting seed offering and giving prophecies to people. They couldn't go and seek God, but the wise men came and they received the promise of his presence because they were hungry. The fact is those who are hungry for God will always find him. For James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And the good news is Christmas is that we have the opportunity. He's right here with us. God has sent his son to bring his presence. And if we will just hunger for him, if we'll just humble ourselves and come to him and seek him, he will dwell among us. Think about these wise men. They weren't Jewish. They weren't of the same tribe or nation or religion as Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Think about them. They weren't welcome in a special way, in the homeland. But they were so hungry for a visitation, they went 
the distance to find Christ. And the good news is for you, it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter the village or the family you come from. It doesn't matter your past and what you've done. You may not be religious. You may not be a church member. But the good news for all of us is that for anyone who's hungry, for anyone who seeks God, we will find him. For you see, even though God is not hiding from man, God does not appear to the casual or the careless or the distracted. The secret place is reserved for those who hunger for God. The deeper things of God are reserved for those who are hungry for him. You may have experienced God in years past, but there's something greater ahead. You may have known God in prayer and worship, but there's something greater ahead. You may have walked with God to a measure, but if you will hunger for him this Christmas and in the new year, you will experience more of God. For hunger is always a hallmark of those who are close to God. Think about what the Bible tells us about people who were close to God. In Genesis 5, we learn about a man named Enoch. It says Enoch lived 365 years, walking in close fellowship with God. Then one day he disappeared because God took him. He was walking so close with God. God said, I don't want there to be any distance. Let me go and get Enoch and bring him home to me. Enoch lived during the time of Adam. Enoch lived during the time of Noah. Enoch lived in the time when other people called on God, but he was special because he was hungry for God. This is what we see in the life of Moses. There came a point in time where God became angry with the children of Israel and he said to them, I will send you to the promised land, but I will not go with you. Then in Exodus 33, we hear the heart of Moses. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. Here's what Moses was saying. God, if you don't go with me, I don't want the promised land. I would rather stay here in the wilderness and have your presence then go to the promised land without you. Moses said, no, I won't go unless you go with me. He was hungry for God. So friend, let me ask you a question today. If you could have your choice, which would you choose? To have all your prayers answered, to have all your dreams come true, but never have the presence of God or to go the rest of your life without your prayers answered, but have his presence every day. Which means more to you? If you could choose, would you go and choose to live in United States without the presence of God? Or would you decide to live in Baweleshi with the presence of God? If you could choose, which would you choose? To get married and have your dream wedding and have a loving spouse but never know God or remain single for the rest of your life but be near to God. If you could choose, which would you choose? To be rich beyond your wildest dreams but not have God or stay as you are but have God close to you every day. Moses said, take the land of promise. Take the milk and honey. Take the blessings. Take the miracles. I like those things but what I love most is Jesus. And I'm not saying you cannot have God and the blessing. You can have both. But God wants to know which one you value more, which one you care about more, which one are you hungry for, the things of this world that pass away or the presence of God. 
For when Moses made the choice to elevate God above everything, this was the answer from God in Numbers 12. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He's faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face. And there were prophets, there were pastors, there were people who knew God, who heard from God. But Moses saw God face to face. And if you will hunger with God, you may not be a prophet, you may not be a pastor, but you can hunger for him and seek him and God will come near to you. For David said in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. Oh God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. David was not a priest. David was not a prophet. David was not anyone except for a king who sought God and God said, about him. He's a man after my heart. And God is looking for you today. Are you a man? Are you a woman who hungers for him? Are you like the Apostle Paul who said this in Philippians 3? I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what life ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. And God is speaking to you today. He's luring you. He's calling you. If you will develop a hunger, if you'll become humble and seek him, if you'll realize that every moment of every day you need him and you'll press in to know God, he will reveal himself to you. He will come to you. The problem for most of us today is we're so full of other things. We're so distracted by the world. We've lost our hunger for God. Because to be hungry for God means you've got to forget about your own needs and focus on pursuing Him. At Christmas time today, we run here and there. We seek packages and parties, gifts and gatherings, but we're not hungry for God. And because of that, we have no room for Him. We're full of other things. Proverbs 27, 7 says, he who is full loathes honey, but to the hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. I discovered that many years ago. I'd gone somewhere to preach, and I had a wonderful, powerful time of ministry, and I came home to my home in East Legon, and I was hungry. Fortunately, God's so kind, I have a beautiful, nice wife, amen, and she was cooking for me. When I opened the door, I could smell the aroma of the food, hey! It was so sweet. I went into the kitchen and I was hungry. I was really hungry. Did I tell you I was hungry? But she was still cooking and frying and stirring and baking. And I said, oh, it smells so good. She began to tell me what she was making. She showed me on the stovetop. She showed me in the oven. I was like, hey, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. I will sit down right here and wait. I sat in the kitchen so that the transit time would be short. I was waiting. But as I sat in the kitchen waiting for the food to finish, there was a packet of shortbread biscuit on the table. I said, hey, I'm hungry. Let me just take one until the food is ready. I took one. I ate it. McVitie shortbread. I said, oh, that's nice. That's okay. Yeah. I was still hungry. I said, let me take a second one. Let me take 
A third one. Before I knew what happened, I had finished the entire packet of biscuit. Hey! Just then, my wife carried a sumptuous meal to the table and sat down and said, eh, I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry. And how often do we fill ourselves with the insignificant, the junk food of this world, and God comes to offer us the feast of his presence, and we're not hungry. The fact is, you can be as hungry as you want to be. Your appetite for God is not determined by him. It's determined by you. And you can increase your appetite by putting aside other things and becoming wholly devoted to him. That's our third step to experience the presence of God. God's presence is with the holy devoted. He's with the humble. He's with the hungry. And he's with the holy devoted. And this group of people to show us the way is a man named Simeon and a woman named Anna. The Bible tells us on the eighth day when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to be circumcised and to give him the name Jesus, Savior, these two people were in the temple. They did not have a planned arrangement. They did not know Mary and Joseph. There was no no invitation to the gathering, but they were wholly devoted to God, and God placed them in the temple at the very moment when Mary and Joseph came in with Jesus. And the reason why was because they were both wholly devoted. Listen to Luke 2 about Simeon. It says, he was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and that day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required. Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God. Simeon held Jesus. Simeon experienced Jesus, not because he was invited, not because someone told him, but the Holy Spirit saw his devotion and moved him into position. Somebody say amen. And Anna, listen to what the Bible says about her. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was very old. She lived to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. And of all the people in Jerusalem, of all the people even in the temple, of all the people around, these two and these two alone held Jesus and witnessed his circumcision. They were at his naming because they were people wholly devoted to God. And understand today that when you're wholly devoted. It takes your relationship with God to a new level. For the humble and the hungry come to God's presence and he welcomes them. But God's presence comes to the wholly devoted. If you're humble today, you can come and ask God to let you into his courtyard and he will welcome you. If you're hungry, you can press in and seek God and he will welcome you. But when you're wholly devoted, God begins to seek you. God begins to look for you. God will come and meet you right where you are. God will locate you when you are wholly devoted. Somebody say hallelujah. That's why 2 Chronicles 69 said, God is always on the alert, constantly on the lookout for people who are totally committed to him so that he may strongly support them. And right now today, in 2024 coming, God is looking for the holy devoted. He's seeking them. He's calling them. Let me locate them. Let me find them. And if you will humble yourself, seek him, and wholly devote yourself to him, he will come to you.
For Jesus said in John 4, 23, even now the true worshipers are being led by the Spirit to worship the Father according to the truth. These are the ones the Father is seeking. God is seeking. He's searching. For when you seek God diligently, he seeks you. When you pursue him wholeheartedly, he begins to pursue you. He'll come near to you when you're wholly devoted. That's the powerful truth we can learn from the amazing story of two American men. One was named Bill Connor. The other was Lumont Jack Jr. Bill Connor was home in January 2017 when he got the phone call every father dreads. His daughter, Abby, and his son, Austin, had been involved in an accident. Abby was seriously injured and had been taken to the hospital. Bill Connor rushed to the hospital and found Abby lying in a coma. As she lay on the hospital bed, the doctors had connected all kinds of tubes and machines to keep her alive. Her heart was beating, her lungs were breathing, but the doctor pulled Bill Connor over and told him, your daughter Abby is brain dead. She will never wake from the coma. The doctors had to get Bill Connor's permission to turn off the machines that were artificially keeping Abby's body alive. But before they did that, they told him something. When Abby was 16 years old, she had signed a donor organ card. She had agreed that should she die, she would donate any of her major organs to transplant to someone else who had a critical need. Bill Connor accepted that fact, and they prepared to remove Abby's heart to give her to another. Thousands of miles away, another family was in grief. 21-year-old Lumont Jack Jr. had suffered a serious and sudden heart attack. The doctors were able to keep him alive, but they told him his heart was so weak, he had 10 days left to live. He was 21 years old. They gave him 10 days They said, unless you get a heart transplant, you won't survive. He needed a miracle, and the miracle came in the heart of Abby Connor. So as Bill Connor said goodbye to his daughter, Abby, Jack's family started praying and rejoicing in anticipation. As Abby was taken off life support, the doctors removed her heart. They prepared Jack Jr. to receive it. While one father wept, Another family rejoiced. One father's loss was an entire family's gain. But the story doesn't end there. Five months later, Bill Connor reached out to Jack Jr., who was now alive with Abby's heart. He said, I'd like to meet you. So on Father's Day 2017, Bill Connor met Lubanth Jack Jr. They embraced and they wept together. And then something happened. Amazing happened. Jack gave Bill Connor a package, and when Bill Connor opened it, it was a stethoscope, the instrument doctors use to listen to your heart. Bill Connor said, why are you giving me a stethoscope? Then Lumont Jack Jr. began to unbutton his shirt, and he invited Bill to come and listen to Abby's heart beating in his chest. (laughs) Bill Connor put on the stethoscopes on Father's Day. And he got close. He got near. He leaned in to Jack's chest and listened to Abby's heartbeat. And that's what happens to all those who are wholly devoted.
when you welcome Jesus into your heart and give him control of your life, God the Father comes close. He comes near. His ear presses to your chest, for he hears the life of Jesus beating inside of you. Christmas means God came to live among us so that he could live within us, so that he could be near to us. So I say to you today, like the prophet Hosea, oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of rains in early spring. I'm here to tell you today, if you'll hunger for God and humble yourself to seek him, if you'll be wholly devoted to God, he will come and live inside of you. He will fight through every opposition. He will come to draw you close. The Father's ear will be on your heart as Jesus dwells within you. So this Christmas... Let's put aside the distractions. This Christmas, let's turn away from every other thing. This Christmas, let's humble ourselves and say, Oh, Lord, you are God. I am not. I'm hungry for you because I need you every moment. Oh, God, come and live in me. I seek you. I devote myself wholly to you. Let me experience the promise of his presence. Let us welcome Jesus. Would you stand together with me all across the auditorium in the balcony? Let's take a moment right now. We're going to humble ourselves. We're going to tell God we need him. We're going to hunger for God and seek him. We're going to devote ourselves to him and welcome into our hearts. Would you just lift up your hand and begin to pray with me right now? Father, we thank you. We humble ourselves before you. There is no God like you. There's no one else in heaven or earth who we need more than you. Lord, we choose you. We hunger for you more than the riches of this world, more than the parties and the packages, more than the gifts and the gatherings. Lord, we want you. The best gift, the thing we need most, Lord, not marriage, not not money, not visas, Lord, we need you. Come, fill us. Come, dwell in us. Come, Lord, we're hungry for you. God bless you for listening to this message. Reverend Richard C. Whitcomb is the senior pastor of Agape House New Testament Church in East Legon. If you are ever in Accra, we will like you to worship with us on Saturday night at 6 p.m. or on Sunday at 7.30 a.m., 9.30 a.m. and 11.30 a.m. You will have an awesome experience.